Lord, thanks a lot for today. Just thanks for the opportunity to be at a racetrack. Uh, I know that we say it every weekend that we're here, but uh, we really are blessed to be at a racetrack and uh, to be able to do what we love to do because you put it in our hearts to do it. So just calm us down right now and give me the words to say and give us the ears to hear. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm Chuck Lee, Master with Team Faith. Pleasure to be with you tonight. Um, legacy. It's what we leave behind us. When, when we're dead and we're gone, all we've got is our legacy at best. At worst, we can leave behind a negative one. And for most people, average, you just die and you take that dirt nap, right? If you follow me on Facebook, uh, friends with me on social media or whatever, um, you're aware that my, my grandfather, my granddad, we always called him granddad, he passed away a couple weeks ago, August 24th. He was 94 years old, had lived a rich and full life, I was a Christian, had raised his kids in a Christian home. Uh, I firmly believe that I am a Christian today because of the legacy that my granddad left. But uh, nonetheless, saying goodbye is always, it's always hard. But uh, my granddad, tonight, I kind of want to leave, just, just give you a picture of who he was. It's a little bit different of a message, but what I want to leave you with is very, very important. Because I think that, that uh, my granddad was an example to how I should be living my life going forward. And to understand that, you have to understand who my granddad was. First of all, he was a World War II vet. Anytime that we talked about my granddad, it was always those three years. It was just three years that he served, but he served with such distinction in World War II as a, as a private and on up to a corporal, so nothing, nothing that was uh, dramatic, not like a general or anything like that, but still, his distinction that he served with, I didn't realize this until the day of his funeral, he was awarded three bronze stars overseas for, uh, for, for service with distinction, and... Um, he, he ended up, uh, he went from the Corps of Engineers to the infantry and on into to armor, where at the very end of his time in World War II, when he saw a lot of action, he was actually a gunner on a tank, which is one of the most deadly jobs in the whole war. And he was able to come home, and when he came home, um, he was, I don't know, we call those guys the greatest generation, right? What, there's just something that's special about our World War II generation, whether they were serving overseas like my granddad was or whether they were at home and donating all their pennies so we could melt them down for copper. Uh, it just seems like that generation really came together and shaped this nation to what it is today. And my granddad was at the leading edge of that, of the greatest generation. And one, one thing that uh, is very distinctive about the, the guys when they came home from World War II, it seems like they just shut that chapter in their life and they started life all over again. And uh, there's actually some studies being done right now as to well, what was so different back then is that uh, that we we aren't following those same footsteps today. But my granddad, when he came home from World War II, he took all of his medals and he threw them in a drawer and he forgot about them and they have been lost to eternity. Nobody knows where they are. We actually, as a family, a few years ago, we were able to contact the Department of Defense and find out exactly what medals did he have and get them all back in. And he was well into his 80s by the time we figured out Man, he was a hero, but he never really talked about it. He was real quiet about that. But when he came back from the war, he threw those medals in the drawer, and um, and and he became he just settled into life. And he was a hardworking man. He was a dedicated man. He was a man of courage. It seemed like he was a man of passion. And uh, there were two more events that shaped his life. And one of them was when he came back from the war. He settled. He went back home to Kentucky, and uh, got a job. Went into the local diner saw a girl in there and said, wow, Myrtle was her name. That was my mama. He met Myrtle in the diner. She was a waitress in the diner there. 
And uh, she was 16, he was 24. And today we'd say, oh, you can't do that. But back then, it was a different time. Eight years difference at that time, no big deal. He said, Myrtle, you've got to go out with me. And she did. They dated for three months. They got married. And they were married for 66 years until my mom passed away in 2012. 66 years of marriage that they were able to put behind them. And that right there is just a testament that there is, there is something unique about this man and, and this woman right here put up with each other for 66 years. I don't care who you are to put up with somebody for that long is saying something. And, uh, and my granddad, you know, dedicated, faithful. I mean, those are words that would describe my granddad. The second event in his life actually uh, came to light at, a couple weeks ago at his funeral. Uh, my, my brother stood up in front of the congregation, in front of the audience there at the funeral, and uh, just to share what his memories were of granddad, and he said, you know, one of the things that really sticks out in my mind was when I was a, a lot younger, uh, maybe middle school age, I was talking to my mama, and my mama told me that, that uh, said, Chad, your granddad used to drink a lot, and it was bad, and he came to know Jesus when he was 29 years old and hadn't been the same ever since, and because of that, that's why we're married today because if he hadn't met Jesus I don't think we'd be married to this day and so that was a huge thing that shaped his life he never really talked about his World War II days but you couldn't get him to shut up about Jesus you knew that there was something different about uh, about this man because because he had given his life to Jesus and it shaped the death it, it changed the course of his life but also his kids' lives and his kids' kids' lives, and we're now moving on into the third and the fourth generation of Christians growing up Christian values in our families. It was a tough wedding when I was there just a couple weeks ago. You know, like I said, it's, it's always hard to say goodbye. We knew he was ready. He said he's, he's been ready for several years. When, when Momo died, he even said right then, he's like, well, I'm ready to go any time that Jesus wants to call me, I'm ready. And so even though we knew he was ready, it was still kind of difficult to say goodbye. But it was a really sweet and tender funeral service. Uh, his kids, all of his children, my, my dad got up to speak, and my aunts, my uncles, they all spoke. Us grandchildren were also invited to speak, and I was actually contacted ahead of time and said, Hey, would you mind um, sharing? You can share, and you can also, would you also read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Now, if you've been around church at all, or if you've been around enough weddings, you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. And so I'm thinking, you want me to read the love chapter <laughs> at a funeral? That's what we read at weddings, you know, but at a, at a, at a funeral, that's, uh, you know, all I know of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I've heard it all my life. I've never really stopped to consider the words of it, but I know that anytime you're sitting at a wedding and they get up and they start reading those words, it says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And at this point in the wedding, the groom and the bride are looking at each other and got those weepy, sad eyes, and everybody in the audience, we're doing, we're either crying with them or we're puking in our mouth. I mean, it's <laughs> the love chapter. What am I going to read this at a funeral for? And I got to thinking, you know, all the things that we have described my granddad as a tough, resilient, principled man. My granddad, he told me a story one time. This, I don't remember. This is probably about 10 years ago. He told me a story one, that uh, he was at his job. He was working in a factory at the time, and uh, he had a disagreement with a coworker. And the coworker just kept egging him on and egging him on. What are you going to do about it, Claude? My granddad's name was Claude, so we had Claude and Myrtle. You know, they, they named their, their kids different back in the, in the 20s and 30s. But uh, what are you going to do about it, Claude? He said, so I clocked him. I sat him on his rear end. 
I was like, really? Now, Granddad had come back from World War II, right? And he was in the infantry. I mean, he's a tough guy. So I'm like, okay, so this is probably, you know, that, that pre-Jesus era. I said, well, Granddad, how old were you at that time? Ah, uh, I was 40-something. <laughs> you were in your 40s and you knocked somebody out? He said, yeah. Yeah, then I got called into the supervisor's office and said, uh, hey, I heard you and so-and-so had a disagreement. And my granddad said, yeah. He said, well, this guy's got a black eye. You want to tell me about it? Well, what did he say about it? Well, he said he ran into a door. What do you say? Well, if that's what he says. He says, Claude, I don't want any more problems. He said, I guarantee you won't have any more problems. And he never did. He said, we got long fine from that day forward. <laughs> a tough man. A principal always willing to stand up for what was right. I mean, I, my granddad, obviously, he never backed down from a fight. He wasn't a weakling. I remember him. Just, he, was, he was in his 70s, mowing five acres of yard and had a farm and... And uh, he, was, he was a tough man. He was a man's man. There are many words that can describe him in tough, courageous, World War II vet, uh, tender. I mean, there's a lot of things that were about him. But when you look at my granddad, and you look at the legacy that he left the Lee Master family, I think that love is definitely the most appropriate word. That's the word that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life when I think of my granddad. Let me read this to you. In, in, in light of my granddad's history here, what does love really mean? What does it look like? And let me tell you what it looks like, not what it is. Love is not a word. Before I get into this, love is not a word. I can't remember my granddad ever saying, I love you. I can't remember my granddad ever pick, scooping me up into a big hug and embrace. We're not, he's not the hugging kind of, he's not the touchy-feely kind of guy, but you better give him a firm handshake. You know, wide open, grab it, shake it. There are no dead fish in the Lee Master family. You ever do that and shake somebody's hand and like, man, is that a dead fish? We don't do that in the Lee Master family. Granddad, he was all about a good handshake. But we didn't hug. We didn't say, I love you. Love's not a word. It's an action. Listen to this. This is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. The first century church in Corinth was full of all kinds of problems. I mean, you read into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you find out this church is a mess. All right, so he's talking to him. By this time in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about speaking in tongues. He's talking about uh, prophecy. He's talking, he gets on into different roles that we have as Christians. Some are, some are teachers, some are preachers, some speak in tongues, some are prophets, some have great words of wisdom. And then he says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, y'all are arguing about all this stuff, but if I have the greatest gift ever, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as even to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And at the end of the chapter, Paul says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest is love. Of all the words that can describe my granddad, I think that love is the one that did it. Because love does not insist on its own way. It bears all things and it endures all things. 
I guess now it's time for the family trash. The, Lee, the dark side of the Lee Master family that nobody knows about. My granddad, when he grew up, he grew up in the South. He grew up in, in Kentucky. And if you've ever watched the greatest television show on TV in the history of TV, then you'll, you'll understand the context. And what is that show? It's Justified. <laughs> if you've ever watched Justified on FX, it's this really cool show about a U.S. Marshal who kicks butt and doesn't bother to take names, all right? And if you go home and you watch it and there's some rough language and a couple scenes, you're going to say, the preacher said to watch this? So you're going to tell all your center friends, and your center friends are going to say, the preacher said watch it? I'll come to church with you. So go ahead, go home and watch it. It's about this guy, this marshal in Kentucky, and he goes down to Harlan County, Kentucky, which I used to cover when I was a sales rep for, for Yamaha. Uh, I was the number one sales rep for um, a certain camel pattern, the Duck Woodlands camel pattern on the Grizzly. And it just looked like a bunch of reeds that you would use for duck hunting. But I was the number one. Uh, my district was selling more of those camel patterns than anywhere else in the country. And we don't have any duck hunting. And so what's going on with this? So I go to Harlan, Kentucky, and I say, you're, you're the number one dealer selling all these camel patterns. What's the deal with it? He says, oh, it looks like dried corn stalks. So people can go use it to check on their marijuana crop in the fall. <laughs> That's Harlan County, right next door to Paintsville, where my granddad grew up. And you get a you get a view for that when you watch that show Justified. I'm I've been there. I'm like, wow, man, this is so real life. This is this is I don't know if this is cool or disturbing, but uh, you can't pull your eyes away from it. But Granddad grew up in the, in the Deep South. Now, if you're if you're a student of history, and you recognize, I've been talking about you know World War II vet, talking about the '40s, the '50s, the South, segregated South, blacks and whites, very very separate. That's the way my granddad was brought up. He never talked about it. Never talked about the, the different drinking fountains, the different bathrooms, the different restaurants, all that. But that was the reality of life in the Deep South. My granddad, uh, you know, I was born in 1973. So I'll save you the math. I'm 43 years old, all right? And, you know, due to the good genes of Myrtle, I look much younger than I am, right? But uh, I was born in 1973. 1978, my uncle Doug came to... Uh, came to Claude and Myrtle. They had four children. They had two boys, two girls. And uh, Doug was the youngest one. He came to them with some bad news. He said, listen, I've, I've got my girlfriend pregnant, which is not a good thing. I, I understand that. I've had to go through that myself. <laughs> it's not a joyous occasion when you tell your parents, I got my girlfriend pregnant. And I said, there's a little bit of friction right there because they're in a, a very conservative Christian church. It's a Christian home. I mean, Doug, you were raised to know better than this. We're, we're, we go to church every Sunday. We go to church on Wednesdays. You, you know, but you've been raised better than this. So there's a problem right there. But then the problem is, and my girlfriend's black. And I was five years old. So I was not privy to any of the conversations that might have or may not have happened. But I am told that there were some tough conversations during those days. Because that just kind of blew everybody's minds. Like, you got a black girl pregnant. So in 1978, my cousin Derek was born. And here's what I know. At five years old... All I knew was that I was getting a new cousin. All I've known my entire life is that we are a colorblind family. There was no issue with that. man who was raised in the segregated South gave his life to Jesus when he was 29 years old, finds out that he's going to have, well, you know, what would offend the culture that he grew up in. And because of his leadership in the family, not everybody was on board with this, but because of his leadership in the family... We are a colorblind family. We, we don't know any difference. Derek's always been my cousin. 
Well, Doug married that lady. They didn't last very long. They got a divorce. Years later, Doug married another woman, a good, a good. Uh, she turned out to be a good Christian girl. She actually ended up accepting Christ after they were married. And so they're a good Christian family now. you got Doug and Karen and, and, and Derek, who's quite a bit older now. And Doug and Karen weren't able to have kids, so they decided that they were going to adopt. And so they adopted this little baby, Aaron. And Aaron was fully black. But we're a colorblind family. Never dawned on me that this is different. That Aaron is hes a different... It never dawned on me, because that's the way that the Lee Master family rolls. Just colorblind. And so Aaron grows up, and he's, a, he's right now, I think he's about 22 years old. At the funeral, he shared that 10 years ago, when he was about 11 or 12 years old, he sat down with my granddad, and uh, he said, Granddad, I don't really want to hear about World War II. My granddad's not talked about World War II to anybody. There was one time that he pulled me aside because I was in the Army, and he confided in me some mind-blowing stories. And I think I might have been the first person that he ever opened up to about some of those stories, I, but nobody had ever heard them. And he definitely wasn't vocal about them. But he told 12-year-old Aaron, he said, come on over. I know that you wanted to interview me for a history project. Come on over. I'll tell you everything about my time in World War II. So Aaron took his tape recorder, and he, he does not have the tape right now. He's got to find the tape. But he, he shared this at the funeral. He said, I took my tape recorder, and I sat down, and Granddad told me story after story after story that just blew my mind. And I could not believe the stories of bullets flying under his nose and, and smelling the gunpowder as it passed under his nose. Granddad told me a story one time of going three days without food and going into this vacant and abandoned house with one of his buddies, and they found a jar of jelly. And they, they existed on that jar of jelly. They split the jar of jelly between the two of them. It's the only food that they had for three days. And he told those kind of stories to Aaron, story after story. And Aaron, ever since that time, he said, I have wanted to join the Army. And so when he was a senior in high school, before he was even of age, he got his mom and dad, my aunt and uncle, to sign the waiver so that he could join at 17 years old. The only stipulation was that he wasn't allowed to be in the infantry. <laughs> which is what my granddad was, was in the infantry. But granddad was also in armor, and so Aaron went into armor. I actually happened to serve in the infantry. When I joined the Army back in the 90s, I told the recruiter, I want infantry. And they said, no, you're too smart. Seriously, they said, too smart. And I said, no, no, I'm going to join the infantry. If I don't get to join the infantry, I'm not signing. And they said, all right, you get to be in the infantry. And so I have a little bit of a history there, and I think that's why my granddad opened up to me. Aaron wanted to be in the Army because granddad was in the Army. My brother Chad, uh, my younger brother Chad, he lives up in Alaska. He joined the Air National Guard. And so Aaron and Chad were both at the funeral, both of them in their dress uniforms. I tried on my dress uniform. I don't fit. I've grown. My muscles have gotten a lot bigger since I was in the Army. I couldn't, couldn't button the pants. Otherwise, I would have wore that, uh, that uniform in honor of my granddad for that funeral. But uh, at, the, at the end of the service of the church, we put the flag over the, over the coffin, and we went to the grave, and uh, Chad, my brother, Aaron, my cousin, and myself all stood there along with everybody else. But the three of us were right there at the end of, it, of the coffin, and, was, and he received military honors. And uh, there was a color guard, and they played taps. And during playing of taps, the three of us gave my granddad the farewell salute. And I know I'm not supposed to salute if I'm not in uniform, but that was my granddad. I gave him the farewell salute. At the end of taps, um, the color guard took the flag and they folded the flag. And they came over to us and they presented that to Aaron. 
hard to say goodbye sometimes. But it was at that moment that I realized, what if my granddad was just a tough, principled, solid man? Aaron wouldn't be receiving the flag if granddad was a tough and principled man. Because a tough and principled man insists on his own way. What is love? Love does not insist on its own way. Love bears all things, and it endures all things. And because my granddad loved Jesus first, he loved people the way that Jesus loved people. And it shaped his entire family. And so on August 24th, when Aaron stands there and he receives the flag, it was a huge, huge honor. Not just for him, but for all of us. Because that was the love of Jesus in a tangible way being shown with that flag being given to Aaron, who was adopted into our family. Who cares about the skin color? And who cares about the adoption? Because you know what? I'm adopted and I'm grafted into God's family. And the honor of the flag is barely anything compared to the honor that we're going to receive on that day. And when we realize that, and when that really sinks into our hearts, it changes the way that we love people around us. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verse 2, is, is a, uh, a verse that I should probably engrave and put on my wall. It says, Surely I am more stupid than any man. <laughs> I'm sure many of us can put that on our wall. I am more stupid. And because I am stupid... There are some things that I say that I shouldn't say, and because I'm stupid, I think some things that I wouldn't ever want anybody to think. But here's how it goes down. There's, there's a saying, if you ain't dead, God ain't done. I myself have said many, many times, God created you on purpose for a purpose. Well, when Mama died in 2012, I mean, she cooked for my granddad. I don't think he ever had to cook a meal in his life. <laughs> my, my aunt one day said, Dad, wouldn't it just be great if we never had to cook food again? And my granddad's like, eating is such a pleasure. And it dawned on us, you've never had to fix a meal. <laughs> my mama took care of him. She fed him. She kept his medication straight, kept the house in order. She was, she was a good wife. She died, and we all think, well, he's, he's 90 years old. He's going to be next, you know. You've heard those stories about the elderly people. One passes within hours, the next one goes. Or maybe it's days, or maybe it's weeks, but it's certainly not going to be months. Better say goodbye to granddad now. And then there was another year. Well, he's going to go. And then there's another year. He's 92. And then he's 93. And, he's 90. and I'm thinking, because I'm surely more stupid than any man, what is he sticking around for? God, why haven't you called him home yet? He wants to go home. Why is he here? What purpose could he possibly achieve for you? I mean, he's a sweet old man, and I love him, and I don't want to say goodbye to him. But, I mean, these are the things I'm thinking, and this is the first time I've ever said them out loud. But I'm thinking... Why is he still here? I found out at, the, at his funeral. After the funeral was all done, we get back from the uh, from, from the burial, and we're having dinner at the church, potluck that the church fixed for us. So many people came up to the family and said, oh, your dad or your granddad, Claude, he always said hi to me. Or the little old ladies would say, Claude always had a hug for me. He was hugging on the little ladies, you know. <laughs> always had a hug for me. One guy came up and said, hey, I'm the one that greets people at the door. And your granddad, if I was busy talking to somebody, he would stand there and wait because he had to shake my hand and see how I was doing. And that's how he was. You know, there, if you ain't dead, God ain't done. There is still a purpose for you because he was demonstrating. In those last three or four years on his earth, he was demonstrating. He never had to say, I love you. He was demonstrating that love 
with every single person he came in contact with. Family members, he's got a daughter that hasn't accepted Christ yet. It didn't matter. He loved her. He loved her kids. loved my cousins. It was just a true and a genuine love. And I'm, I'm bringing this up tonight because I'm really concerned. I'm passionate, heartbroken for our country right now. I really think that our country is in jeopardy. I think that our country is in trouble right now. But here's the problem. And I heard, I heard somebody, I don't even remember where I heard it, but I'm going to repeat it. If Hillary gets elected this fall, this country's going to be in an uproar. If Donald gets elected, this country's going to be in an uproar. If Obama stays in office for whatever reason, this country, it doesn't matter. This country is going to be in an uproar. And so it really matters how we love. How we love not only one another, but how we love the people that we come in contact with, that we have differences of opinions with. The way that we approach this whole election, the way that we approach the problems that this nation is facing, it's real quick and it's real easy to come off with a strong force and it's real easy to be right and to show that I am right. And yeah, we need to stand up for truth, but there's a way. When Jesus started his ministry, he was full of grace and truth is what we're told in the gospel. Grace and truth. And how do you balance that? I don't know how to balance that. But we have got to start having a conversation among ourselves. Those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus have got to start taking that into consideration before we start blasting on social media. Because we can be right. We can insist on our own way, but love doesn't insist on its own way. It bears all things and it endures all things. And the funny thing is, is that when we live into an eternal purpose, it meets the local need. As my granddad lived into the eternal purpose of putting Jesus first in his life, and in 1978, when he made the decision that we're going to love Derek just as if he's a human being created in the image of God, it changed the course of an entire family. Generations of Lee Masters are now colorblind. Generations of Lee Masters now understand what it means to love. When you live into an eternal purpose that meets the local need, when you live into a local need, the very best that you're going to accomplish is the local need. But it doesn't do anything for eternity. So I just want to challenge us tonight that as we think on this, hopefully my granddad, the World War II vet, who goes down with a legacy of love, will stand out in our minds so that we can think, should I say that now? Okay. Let me just pause and think and consider this in an eternal perspective. I struggle with it too, but I'm learning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for my granddad. Thank you for the legacy that he left. Not just for me, not just for the Lee Masters, but for everybody that's come in contact with it through this message tonight. I pray that uh, your word will resonate in our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that will really take it to heart and we'll consider what is it to love and leave a legacy of our own. Use us, Lord, in a mighty way to shape and change even the GNCC racing nation. We love you. We look forward to what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Have a great race.